Welcome to this episode of Revelations from Heaven. My guest today, Anna Christina, she's going to share with us something very personal to say the very least, because she was accosted violently uh, and then she was murdered. Uh, then she entered into her near-death experience, something that is going to, well, it's going to be a, so insightful that we'll have to discuss why the Lord God, Jesus, revealed himself in such a way. So, Anna, it is great to have you with us today. Thank you, Randy, for having me. Well, the pleasure is all ours, and certainly mine. And Anna, let's begin with what led up to this, because you were originally from Egypt as a, uh, as a Coptic Christian, you became a born-again Christian believer. Um, so let's start with that, and then you married somebody who was of a, a different religion, the Muslim religion. There's this, there's this somewhat of a conflict, right, in Egypt between the two populations. So I'll let you begin wherever you'd like there. Okay, so like you said, I'm born in Alexandria, Egypt, uh, to a Coptic Christian Orthodox family. And we moved to Canada when I was very young, six or seven. And then my father moved us back to Egypt to give us a little, a little bit about our culture. He didn't want us to lose our culture. During that time, around the age of 14, I met Sam, who was my, met, my tutor, because I didn't know the Arabic language very well. Well, we fell in love. And uh, I fell in love with him not knowing he was Muslim. And um, around the age of 20, we wanted to get married. But my father said over my dead body, uh, my father loved him. But in Egypt, you just Coptic Christians don't marry Muslims. So I knew I had to uh, obey my dad out of honor to him and love for my father and move on. Came to California, married a Coptic Orthodox Christian man. I thought, okay, he's my religion. He'll be good. Um, turned out he was that typical narcissist, like a uh, full-on narcissist that I did not know at the time, that word. I didn't know what that word meant. Uh, narcissism, they make you, they just break your soul. Uh, they break you emotionally, spiritually, physically, financially, everything. Um, we went, I tried, you know, with all, you know, marriage counselors through church and priests and bishops every everywhere to try to make this marriage work but with the narcissist they never change it's a character disorder but i didn't know at the time i had two beautiful children colleen and andrew and that was my blessing and i tried to make it work but um it was hard to get out of that toxic relationship. I was in it for 13 years. He always threatened that if I would hire a divorce lawyer, he would hire a sniper. Um, several times he said he would slit my throat. Um, so that's, I was stuck there until I was able to get a restraining order on him and a good lawyer got him out of the house. And, um, and we moved on. I moved on with the children. And that's when I became a born again Christian. And I, I just, I love the Coptic church, but I also loved this new relationship with God. 
and then out of nowhere, Sam calls. I, he found me. He was visiting in Florida. And that's like 25 years later. And he dissected California block by block to find me. And we talked. But at that time, of course, because I was born again, I didn't think I'm going to disappoint Jesus and Mary outside of my religion. So we talked and it was good. And then I went to visit my mom who was living in Egypt at the time. And I met Sam thinking that my heart is guarded and that I... You know, there's no problem there, but the guards fell off uh, when we met and we fell in love. I, I think I was vulnerable after a 13 year marriage to a narcissist who was harsh, dry, and I'm a very emotional person. And Sam was that perfect man. I actually don't remember him being the perfect man when I fell in love with him at 15. But when I met him uh, later, he was like that listener that is just a, what I thought was a perfect man. Um, the kids loved him. They wanted us to get married. Uh, at that time, it was hard to say no. And even though I knew I was going against the church, the family, the friends, I just, after being with a Coptic Orthodox all this time who went to church every week and treated me so badly, I felt, you know, this is a decent man and I, I, we did get married. Uh, at first, the marriage was good. I was the breadwinner. I'm a CFO of a company. He did not have the language properly, so he, did, he couldn't land a good job. Uh, and I didn't mind, so I supported the family I supported him he was he took care of the household I actually supported his children in Egypt through medical school um, and like I said at first everything was good until uh, Paul turned the kids against Sam you know 9-11 happened he convinced them he was a terrorist and we just went through custody battles and just a lot of issues um, Around uh, in 2008, the kids wanted to come and live with me. I was getting tired of supporting Sam. I was getting tired of supporting his kids. And I started, uh, you know, having second thoughts, but I was still in love with him. And I was tormented between my kids want to come and live with me. And I'm in love with this man. And, but he felt my, um, I told him that the kids want to come and live with him, but they don't want you in the house. Like I told him that we would need to not be together. So I think he felt insecure. And one morning out of nowhere, I wake up in the morning and I feel the Lord telling me what's going to happen today is not of me. And I usually the Lord doesn't talk to me much. And I got up, I'm having my coffee. He's having his coffee. And it was a Saturday morning. And he says, by the way, I'm going to have communion today. Now, I didn't tell you, Sam used to come with me to Calvary. He never went to a mosque. He was not a practicing uh, Muslim. He, he learned the God, uh, our Father who art in heaven, that prayer. He would read the Bible to me when I'm under stress. So, but he never accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. He was stuck that Jesus cannot be God you know and i left it at that i just thought in time 
he will learn about uh, Jesus. So that morning when he said, I'm going to have communion, it was odd because every time communion passes, he just passes the plate and he would never uh, partake in it. And I told him, why would you do that? Did you have a dream of Jesus? Usually Muslims, uh, when they have a dream, usually it, it's through a dream that they become, they want to take communion and convert. And he said, no, I didn't have a dream. So I said, why would you take the communion? And he said, well, why not? There's whores out there that take the communion. Am I not worthy? And I said, oh boy, Sam, this is not how we take communion. Please, you can't touch it. It's something you have to take um, with, what do you call it? Like, um, with the reverence, sincerity, reverence, right? Yeah. It's not something you just partake in. Yeah. And I told him it can turn on you, so please don't do that. And he was adamant about it, and he had this uh, prideful thing he was doing. And so I went to church with him, and I wanted to see if he's going to go through with it. And I was praying that he wouldn't go through with it because to me that was just crossing over. Like mm-hmm. you don't mess with the blood of Jesus. Um, and he, when the tray came, he took the communion and he ate it and he, his legs were crossed and he was just looking around like no reverence. I thought maybe when he takes the communion, maybe something will happen, but he took it with arrogance. We came home that night and I'm very troubled. I couldn't sleep at night. He's, I'm in bed. His back is to me and I'm looking at him and I am worried and praying and not knowing what is going to happen. And I'm looking at him thinking, okay, God is going to strike him or something because we learned it can turn on you if you don't take it with the right um, motives. And as I'm troubled and I'm looking at him, he turns towards me. And as he turns towards me, his face turns into a demonic face. It was like I, it wasn't him. It was a demonic face, just like in the movie, uh, The Devil's Advocate, when you would look at a normal person and then you see them in a demonic face. And as soon as I saw his face, I heard the Lord say, child, turn, turn on this side. Just don't worry about him. Turn on this side. And I did so. And this is when I realized wait a minute, God must not be blessing this marriage. This is wrong. I have to get out. And I cannot continue in this marriage knowing that God is not blessing it. And I'm sleeping next to a demon. Like, it was just so uh, disturbing. Was this on a, was this a, a manifestation physically, spiritually? How did you how did you interpret that? I saw his face turn demonic. It was weird. I didn't know how to interpret except I saw it. So the Lord must have wanted me to see mm-hmm. what he is truly mm-hmm. is. And he showed me that. I don't know how, but it was the scariest thing I've ever seen next to me. I was terrified, but I knew I needed to get out. So I went on my knees. And I prayed, I prayed so hard, I cried to the Lord because I knew I needed to get out, but I was still in love with him. And I prayed to God, please remove him, please take him, 
but don't break my heart. I didn't want to go through the heartbreak. I was supporting the family. I need my health emotionally. Um, I need to continue working and not fall into a depression from a harsh breakup. But I prayed to him and I asked him, do not break my heart, but please take him away. And I, and God knows how sincere I was. I was, I chose God over him at the time. And before I know it, my heart started hardening towards him. It was the weirdest thing. Months after months, I think it took three months, excuse me. And I was falling out of love from with him and it was so liberating it, it was just mm. so it i don't know but god did it he just hardened my heart and i fell out of love and i felt i can leave now i can leave without um I, i'm good i spoke to him and i told him that uh, we need i want a divorce mm -hmm. and of course at first he was not very happy, but finally decided we'll do an amicable divorce. Um, but he asked to stay in the house for three weeks until he gets a place. Mm -hmm. So we did that. We went to Orange County, filed for the divorce. I agreed for him to stay in the house. And it didn't take long after we filed the divorce, about a few days. And I started waking up with the worst headaches I've ever encountered in my life. My whole body started to hurt bad. I have fibromyalgia, so my whole body was hurting, but the worst part was my head. Mm -hmm. uh, it was like, it's gonna explode the headache. I've never encountered headaches like that. And I couldn't go to work. I would just sit at the end of the couch and sit there all day, just blinking would hurt like just the action of just closing my eyes would just trigger the pain and i asked him to take me to urgent care or to er and he wouldn't for the longest time and i couldn't drive myself i was in bad shape mm. and then he finally decided to take me to urgent care at urgent care they told me you must be coming down with the flu or a cold uh take some painkillers get some rest and so they, they didn't take any blood samples nothing. or urine or anything nothing that would indicate that you were being poisoned nothing mm. um i came home the painkiller helped and then uh when the pain started to come back he started to give me his blood pressure medicine and i don't have blood pressure but the blood pressure medicine was taking down the pressure from the head. It was weird. He knew what to give me. Mm -hmm. And when that happened, I was able to function. I was in aches and pain, but I was able at least to think and drive. And I decided I need to go to the office. It was year end. And as a CFO, year end is the worst time to miss from a company. I was overseeing three entities. And on January 8th, I was driving to the office on the 5 freeway, and I saw a vision while I'm driving. Now, Randy, I never see visions. I'm not that kind of person that sees, I see, I'm seeing a vision. And in the vision, I'm seeing 
someone from my immediate family has died. And it's like a funeral, and I see the body wrapped, mm -hmm. and I see my brother, my two sisters, and I don't see my younger brother, Steve, who was born mentally handicapped. Mm -hmm. And we were told he didn't have long to live. So I thought he's gonna die and God is warning me, like this is a warning from God and I need to go see him. So as soon as I went to the office, I made arrangement to leave ASAP to go see him. And I told my boss that I have to go because a year earlier, my mom passed but she was calling for me before that and I had to finish a project at the office. By the time I was done, I called her to tell her I'm coming. She had gone into a coma and she never came out of it. So that was my biggest regret in life. And with my brother, I thought, okay, God is warning me this time. I'm going to take it regardless what, you know, at the office. So at the office, I meet my staff. I bring them in. I start telling them I'm leaving. It was Friday, telling them I'm leaving either Saturday or Sunday, I booked two tickets and I started delegating things to them. But as I'm talking to them in the meeting, my head now starts hurting like it's going to explode again. And I don't want to show them the pain I'm in. You know, I'm always showing um, I'm in control here. Uh, so I'm sitting at my desk and I'm holding my head like this hoping it doesn't explode. And as I'm doing this, I get a message telling me to leave everything, stop thinking and go home. I don't know how I heard that message, but it was a clear message saying, stop thinking, just go home. So I did just that. I dropped everything. I told them, you guys, I need to go. Most likely I'll come tomorrow. We'll will reconnect and uh, we'll finish this meeting tomorrow. So they were all very, uh, you know, cooperative, helpful. Of course, they wanted uh, me to get better and to take care of my personal stuff. Um, and I left and I drove home and I, I, I remember listening to some Christian channel in the car, but then I left and I'm walking up to my condominium. And as I'm walking, I'm hearing this clear voice now is talking to me. It wasn't like the message I got in the office. Now, this is a voice talking to me as I'm talking to you right now, very clear. And as he talks to me, I recognize he was the Holy Spirit. So this is an audible voice. An audible voice. This is, this is like, you know, Paul heard from the Holy Spirit or, you know, the Lord or whatever, but this was something in that my you brain, could hear exactly. the Lord God. And Holy it Spirit. wasn't outside. Mm -hmm. It was a voice in my head. And he didn't say, hi, I'm the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. He didn't have to you say knew. who he is. Right away, I recognized who he was. Mm -hmm. And it's weird to me because I never related to the Holy Spirit. I always related to Jesus. I related to God the Father, but I never got the Holy Spirit. I didn't really understand who he really is. I didn't communicate. I, I didn't get him. All I knew, like from the movies where the dove is flying overboard or 
he's just something flying out there, but not a being. I, I, yeah, most people think of the Holy Spirit as being ethereal, not yeah, a person. Exactly, yeah. And, and he was speaking to you as a, as a person. As a being. Mm-hmm. He was a being. And right away, he, oh, one thing he told me, um, that he wrote his commandments on my heart. I remember that, and it and I remember telling him, "Okay, that makes sense now. Why I am kind? It had nothing to do with me. It's you all along that controls my heart." I remember that dialogue, and then he said he made like I am to shut my mouth and not to share what I'm hearing with mm-hmm. anybody because at this point i just want to tell the whole world <laughs> <laughs> there's a being here uh, but he just asked me to do that so i continued and he brought you home and he brought to me speak home. with you and he brought me home and i went upstairs and sam answered the door and his first question was are you leaving tomorrow or sunday and i said i don't know I'll let you know, I can't think right now. I didn't want to interrupt my dialogue and I didn't want to give much attention to Sam. So he said, okay, I'll prepare dinner, which he usually does. Colleen came out to hug me. Hi, mom, how's your day? And and ran back to her room. Um, And I went into my room, changed into comfortable clothes. That's what I do when I get home. And I came out and I'm in the kitchen where Sam prepared a bowl, like a plate of rice. And my favorite, um, excuse me, Egyptian dish. It's French beans casserole with like filet mignon in it. That's just my favorite. And the plate was there and I just stood there. I looked at it and I had no appetite. I haven't had much appetite for a long time. Um, so I didn't feel like I was going to eat that, uh, beans with the tomato sauce. So I put that back and I was left with the rice. And then I'm looking at the, at the plate of rice and I'm going, oh my God, I don't even feel like eating that rice either. It looks so dry. And I'm standing, the counter is like this table in front of me, like the kitchen counter. And behind me is the refrigerator. And while i'm contemplating how am i gonna eat this do i just put it back the holy spirit says child turn around open the fridge and get the plain yogurt and put it on your rice now that's how we eat right that's my favorite way of eating rice in egypt we put plain yogurt it's similar like tzatziki but we do that and when he said that i'm going like come again like you care about the yogurt I put on my rice, like it was such a trivial thing Mm. for him to ask me to do. It was, you care? And he said, child, I'm in every little detail of your life. And Randy, when he said that, I, I felt so ashamed that I missed out on him all my life. I was 48 years old at the time. And he's telling me he's been in, he's in every little detail of my life. And I'm discovering it now. At the end, what I can't talk, I can't say anything, don't know what's going to happen to me. 
And he was there all along. So you had a sense of remorse that he had been with you all this time and, and you had been like many of us, ignoring him or not hearing or... Exactly, ignoring him at all. Yeah, which is, which is really the case for all believers. Yeah, a lot uh, of believers. Or many, many believers. That, many believers. I mean, we're not, yeah. you know, <laughs> that we're the temple <laughs> of the living spirit and therefore he can speak to us uh, right. yeah. whenever. But it's true, a lot of believers, and what I grew up to know is, like we talk about Jesus, Jesus is in us, and the Holy Spirit comes and goes, or let's pray for the Holy Spirit to come. But we really don't concentrate on teaching that the Holy Spirit doesn't come and go. He's there mm-hmm. always, you yeah. know, like, and Jesus said in John 14 or something, um, that I am going, I'll, I'll read it real quickly to you because I love Please, it. Please, yes. Um, well, I think this is an important part, so you're, you're looking for that, just because this is at the same time that you are being physically poisoned, the Holy Spirit is drawing you to an audible revelation of his voice. And there's this dichotomy going on between good and evil. You had witnessed the demonic, yes. and now the Holy Spirit is manifesting verbally, audibly to you. And the realization, like when he says, John 14, 15, 16, 16, Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He didn't say, I'm going to ask for a counselor who comes when you need him or when you're in grief or when you're tired or forever. In another spot, um, he says in John 16, 7, it is for your benefit that I go away because if I don't, the counselor will not come to you. So it's clear Jesus said he went to be with the Father Mm -hmm. and he sent us a comforter, a counselor, on earth to be with us. He will not leave us as orphans. And yet, um, I grew up not really understanding this or or believing in this or wasn't taught. It was always Jesus. Jesus is in us. And it was so hard to picture Jesus in me because I always thought Jesus is one. There's billions of people. He's not going to care about me. And you feel lost. It's it's hard mm-hmm. to relate to God the Father and Jesus when they're one and you're I'm nothing. Right. But when it was the Holy Spirit, it's His Spirit, and I see it as just as He gave me a soul. He gave me a piece of Him. It's His Spirit, mm-hmm. and that's my true soulmate. Ah, I love that. I love that. You know, so many have uh, referenced uh, God in the universe. And we can't relate to rocks and <laughs> atmospheres, yes. but we can relate to a person. Exactly. The person yes. of the Holy Spirit, yeah. the counselor. And he's a being, and he's there, and he told me he's in every little detail. So after I felt my shame, uh, I did what he said. I, um, I, I brought the yogurt, I put it on my rice, and and I went on my couch and I ate every bit of it because I just, that's how I love eating the rice. 
And I remember while I was eating, now Sam was sitting across on the other couch, but I'm sitting there and the Holy Spirit, I, I remember he cracked a joke and I started laughing. His sense of humor was amazing. He just had the most beautiful sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> and I started giggling. And Sam right away goes, did you stop at a bar or something? And I just looked at him and I didn't even want to bother The joy with of the him. Lord is my strength. Yes. <laughs> he was just amazing, but I can't remember the joke. So <laughs> anyway, so I ate, I ate everything. And then I said, good night. I felt it was time for me to go in. Um, I went, brushed my teeth, uh, and then got in bed. And I am at this point confused, not sure what is happening. Why is the Holy Spirit revealing himself to me, not understanding anything? And I'm lying in bed, and then he says, Child, it's not your brother, it's you. And Randy, that is something I don't think anybody is ready to hear. Remind us again what he meant by that. That it wasn't my brother that was going to die. Yes. It was me. He was telling you that you it's were going me. to die and you thought it was yeah, your brother. I thought it's my brother yes. that's dying and I'm leaving. And he said, it's not your brother. Mm. It is you. And I wasn't ready to die. I wasn't ready to hear that. I had this heaviness that came on my heart just thinking of Colleen waking up and finding me dead in bed. Mm. That just broke my heart. And my heart was just so heavy when he mm. said that. And, and then he reminded me of a dream that I had several years prior and it was a dream of him and with Colleen and Andrew, and I was with them and we were walking along uh, pastures like meadows and we had our arm around his waist and he had his arm around Colleen and another arm around Andrew and we're all holding his waist and laughing. But when I woke up from that dream, I didn't understand how the three of us had our arms around his waist and we didn't tremble on each other's feet like you usually do have two people. Mm. And that's when I realized I was going to be with them in soul, mm. but not with my body. I was there, but I wasn't in the body with, with them. And uh, as soon as I remembered that dream that he's got my children, it was easy to surrender my children to him and that for me to die i i was okay with it uh, he's got them so mm. how can i worry about them so i gave you an assurance that your children were going to be okay exactly just he's got them wow so wow. it was okay what do you want me to do um and he said child you're going on a journey and you'll be back and be my ambassador mm. and as soon as he said that it was like oh my goodness okay that, that sounds much better <laughs> what do you want me to do and and he said child i need you to relax and i need you to hold still mm. and i said well 
I can do that. I, he said, I need you to stop thinking. I said, okay, I can do that. But it was so hard to stop thinking. Mm. Uh, I'm a very analytical person. And I'm yeah. trying to stop so yeah, my chief brain. financial officer, chief operating officer. Yes, crazy. And my brain is going like that. And I'm trying to stop it. And then I try to stop it. Then I'm wondering, did I stop thinking? Am I still thinking? Like it was a roller coaster up there. And I felt he was going to say enough. <laughs> <laughs> but he was so patient. And um, I finally got to the point where I stopped thinking. And he said, Okay, I need you to shut your eyes. But no matter what happens, do not open your eyes, child. Mm. I said, okay. I said, no, no matter what happens, do not open your eyes. Mm. And I say, I get it. Okay. And I shut my eyes. And as soon as I shut my eyes, a bright light came into the room, Randy. It was a light with a presence. It was like my eyes are shut. Of course, I could, could not dare to open my eyes, but I felt the presence of God the Father. Mm. And it was, it's hard to describe. It's hard to describe that presence, but I wouldn't dare open my eyes. And then the window on my right, started shaking as if there was an earthquake in my room and as that was happening excuse me my heart started palpitating and it started palpitating slowly and then it started racing faster and faster and harder and as soon as I did that, it scared me. I got scared. And as soon as I got scared, the whole process shut down. Mm. The, the light disappeared. The window stopped trembling. And my heart stopped shaking. And everything stopped. And I'm going, shoot, I screwed up my death. And he, looked, he answered, he goes, child, don't worry. This one you can't screw up. You just need to relax more. So I said, okay, good, okay, what do I need to do? He said, I need you to really relax. So he started the process again. And he said, stop thinking. And he helped me get to that point. Then he reminded me, he, he asked me to shut my eyes. And then he reminded me, no matter what happens, do not open your eyes. And I did that. And as soon as I shut my eyes, the, the bright light came again. And I felt the presence of God the Father. And the window started again shaking. And my heart started palpitating. And now it's uh, bouncing, like really hard. I'm thinking it's going to explode. At this point, I'm thinking this is how you die from a heart attack. Like my heart is just going to explode. But I wasn't scared. I knew the process and I didn't want to shut the process down. So I stayed to the end and it stopped after a while and everything calmed down and the light calmed down. Everything was calmed down. And he said, okay, child, the next step is an annoyance. 
just an annoyance. I said, okay. He said, child, it will pass, only an annoyance. Mm. I said, okay. And that's, do you think that's what he was referencing as, as dying? No. What was no. he referencing in that, the annoyance? As soon as he finished saying annoyance, I felt a whoosh of pain in my legs. It felt like somebody taking a sledgehammer and mm. breaking my bones. Mm. And the pain was, never felt pain like that, but he kept saying, it's an annoyance, child. It's an annoyance. It will pass, child. It will pass. Mm. And as I'm concentrating on what he's saying and how he's coaching me step by step, I was able to endure that pain. It, it's hard to explain how I endured it. Like the pain was there, but it kind of wasn't there. Like he was taking the edge off of it or it didn't matter mm. what was happening to my body. And like I said, I have fibromyalgia and I'm taking on all that pain and I'm not screaming. The door is open. No one can hear anything out there from what's happening to me. And the pain kept on going, but he kept on saying, it will pass. It will pass, child. It's only an annoyance. And it did. Mm. And it passed. And I didn't feel a thing after that. It, was, it stopped. Mm. And then I wasn't feeling a thing. I wasn't feeling anything. I couldn't feel my head to my toes. I was numb. And I asked him, I said, am I paralyzed? And he said, yes, child, you are. And I said, no. And he said, I'm sorry, child. And I said, well, can I, can, I, can I move my toes? And he said, no, child. I said, can I move, can I try? He said, try, child. And I try, and of course, nothing happens. And as I'm getting this new reality, accepting this new paralysis, I feel Sam walking in the room. So I'm thinking, okay, he's gonna call 911. He's gonna realize that I'm paralyzed and he's gonna call 911. He didn't notice me, he went to sleep. And I laid in bed that whole night. Let me say, I did not sleep a wink and it was the most beautiful night of my life with the comforter. He did not leave me one second. It did not matter anymore that I was paralyzed. It did not matter what was gonna happen to me. His presence was just so amazing, just beautiful. He, he started downloading verses from the Bible, like he started downloading chapters and he's teaching me. He wasn't just downloading and he's going through it. And the way he was going through it, he was the most perfect teacher. He was just, I was understanding everything from him. He wasn't going too fast. He wasn't going too slow. It was just 
beautiful. He's the teacher you always wanted to have. And I had visions all night. And just, he, he, would, he started answering all the questions I had without me asking him again. Like, he knew my questions. He knew the questions I had about um, famine and wars and children dying in Africa, starvation, like all the disasters that are happening in the world. And we all have, we all have questions like why, you know. And he started answering each one without me asking. And the way he explained it, Randy, made a lot of sense. Made a lot of sense the way he explained it. Like it was like, ah, okay, okay. Would his kind of elucidation of the reasons behind this or, you know, a lot of people question God, you know, why does he allow suffering? And yet he was revealing these answers to you in a way that made sense to you. Does it, did that carry over to, you know, the present day where you can, if somebody were to ask you, you know, why the bad things happen to good people? No, it's amazing that these answers and his joke were the only things that were erased from my memory. Mm. Like erased, deleted, mm. not even, I remember he answered them, but what his answers were, they're not there. And when I reflected later and I, and I could think, why, why would, couldn't I remember? And I felt that he was saying that these are um, mysteries. Mm -hmm. They're not to be revealed to the world, that we all will have our answers mm -hmm. when we die on our deathbed. But he wanted to erase them so I'm never tempted to answer that question or share mm -hmm. that. He was just pacifying me. I felt like he was just, he had a whole night. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love that you say that because those of us who have been there uh, with him, uh, whether in heaven or consumed with the presence of God, know that uh, it's kind of like, you know that he has answered all of the questions even though we don't know the answers to all of those questions. And that's good. That's, that suffices because God has it under control. Absolutely. He's the control. Yeah. And meanwhile, you are the dichotomy, dichotomy of you are physically dying and yet you're laughing with him. You're having this wonderful download of the teaching from God He's, he's revealing his verses that are appropriate for revealing his truth. And so you have this, this kind of polar effect of what's going on physically versus spiritually. His presence when we're dying is so amazing mm -hmm. that life um, doesn't matter. Like when when I felt I was gonna die on my deathbed, it didn't, it wasn't, I didn't question if I lived enough. It was more if I loved enough, because nothing else mattered, nothing else mattered. Say that again, it's. It wasn't if I lived 
enough. Instead, if I loved enough. Wow, that's that's very profound. And that was the truth. You, that it is didn't matter. All, wonderful. Everything. It didn't matter. And his presence made death beautiful. I look at him like people think uh, the spirit of death. I think he's the spirit of light. He yes. is the spirit of death. He's the one that reveals himself, but he's the spirit of light. And he's the one that comforts us until we get to the other side. He was only on this side. He didn't come to the other side. Jesus was on the other yes. side. He was with me here comforting and consoling me. And the whole night he was there and I remember in the middle of the night, I wanted to go to the restroom and I wanted to get up. I forgot I was paralyzed and he, and I asked to go and he goes, go child. And then I remember I wet the bed and I thought there was just, I'm going to wake up uh, Sam from the water that's going towards him. But no, of course he didn't get up. Towards the morning, uh, I could feel the daybreak and Sam got up. He went to the restroom, came back, and slept for another two hours. And then he woke up, I think it was around 8 o'clock. I don't know how I knew, but it was around that time. And I felt him. He turned towards me, and he was pushing me and saying, Anna, Anna, are you up? And I'm thinking, okay, he's going to realize I'm not responding. He's going to rush me to the hospital. So... He turns me on my back and he comes kind of over me and he pulls one arm. No, he first opens my eyes. He opens one eyelid and I can see him and then let's go and it closes. Then he opens the other eyelid and let's go. And then he raises my arm and leaves it. So my arm drops. He raises the other arm and then it drops. And then he gets up comes around me and comes on this side of the bed. He opens a drawer or before he opens the drawers, he starts taking my jewelry off. And I'm thinking, okay, why is he taking off my stuff? Um, thinking maybe so it doesn't get stolen. Uh, then he opens the drawers and takes uh, pills and he puts, he gives me medication in the morning pills. And now I'm paralyzed. So my teeth are clenched together. So he's putting the medicine through my teeth. He's grinding it in there. And it was a bitter medicine, and, and I could uh, recognize it. it was Xanax. And I'm thinking, why is he giving me so much Xanax in the morning? I'm already limp. And then he takes a mint, and he puts it in my mouth. Again, it stays between my teeth and my cheeks. And I'm going, I must think for him to be putting mint in my mouth before he calls 911 like it didn't make sense. Um, but then he got on top of the bed and started. He said, you're wet. We need to get you out of these clothes. So I'm thinking, OK, he's going to clean me up, put me in warm clothes before he calls 911. But he takes my clothes off and then he gets on top of me and rapes me. And that was shocking to me because, um, you know, I'm paralyzed and I, I didn't understand what he was doing. 
um, it felt like a dog was there. That was not my husband or my ex. And then when he was finished uh, with me, he got up and left me there and went to take a shower. And I'm lying there, not sure what's going on. Why isn't he calling 911? But still, the Holy Spirit is with me. So I'm in total peace, just wondering what is happening. Then I feel him coming back towards me. But now I hear the water as if he's filling a bathtub with water. Mm -hmm. And he tries to carry me off the bed. He's pulling me off the bed and tries to carry me. And as he's trying to carry me, he drops me on the side of the bed. And he goes, you're too heavy. I can't carry you. So he's planning on drowning you exactly. in the bathtub. Yeah. Wow. And But he couldn't get me there. And, mm. and I fell on the floor. I'd say that was the first time I was really appreciative that I was chubby. <laughs> it's like, mm. thank you, Lord. And he couldn't carry me. And he just left me there. I fell on the floor, ring, like on my side, naked, and he just left me there. And he ran out because I could hear Colleen waking up. She was in her room and she turned on the TV. So he went to tend to her. Excuse me. And I found out later from Colleen that he told her mom, is resting. She's taken several Xanaxes, Xanax, and she's worried about her brother in Egypt, and she doesn't want to be disturbed. So wow. that's the scenario he told well, This him. is a planned yeah. execution. Yeah. Wow. So Colleen, of course, respected that. She didn't come to check up on me. And then uh, he comes back in the room, and this is when I feel ice water he just starts drenching me with ice water all over my body like it was a feeling i didn't realize how ice water can put your body in shock especially when i was paralyzed and it felt like needles everywhere it was just so it was a torturing feeling and it was too much and uh, the Holy Spirit is telling me it's an annoyance, child. It's an annoyance. And then right away, I see a hand of Jesus lying next to me, like at my level, and just his hand. And I see them piercing his hand mm. with the nail. And the nail going through his hand and the blood. And he's there. That that vision of them kneeling, kneeling him. I felt ashamed of the discomfort I'm I'm feeling from ice water when he went through that agony and the pain, that the torture. So to me. He was going through torture, or he went through torture. And I right away was like, I can take this. I, I, I'm, I can endure this compared to what he went through. I could endure whatever discomfort 
I'm feeling right now. And the Holy Spirit is still saying it's an annoyance and I'm seeing his hand and I'm just holding on and being able to endure. And it seems like he's revealing to you that he understands your pain. He knows your pain. Yes. yes. Mm. And, and his spirit is not leaving in one second. Like his comfort, when you say he's a comforter, He's really the comforter and counselor during this time because the pain and discomfort was not as agonizing as you would think. Like if this is something we watch and see, it's different than when you're in it and his presence is there. He just, it, it becomes different. And then it stopped and I was relieved. I, I was relieved that the water stopped. He left again. Then he came back and started doing the same thing again. And it was, it felt like it was taking forever. And the ice water again, but right away, Jesus, I saw Jesus's hand again with the nail in his hand. And I was able to endure my own discomfort, torture, whatever it was I was going through. And the Holy Spirit is telling me it's an annoyance. It will pass. It will pass. And I'm, and, and I'm hanging in there, knowing that it's going to pass. And it passed. And he stopped. And he left the room. And, uh, but again, the comforter did not leave. Then he came back. But this time, he bent over, and he grabbed my nose, and he shut it, like he closed my nose. And I couldn't breathe because now, again, because I'm paralyzed, my teeth are clenched, I can't breathe from my mouth. Mm. And he's closing my nose and I am not able to breathe. And then suddenly I went, <gasps> and I grasped for air mm. just as a reflex. And as soon as I did this, he let go and he ran out of the room. Mm. And this is when I remembered my million dollar life insurance. Uh, yeah. Therein lies the, the motive. Reason. Yeah, he would get half a million of that. So it made sense now mm. that that's what he's doing. He comes back and he does the same thing again. He bends down, he holds my nose and tries to hold it tight. And again, I do the reflex, I open my mouth, it startles him, he leaves. The third time he comes, he holds my nose shut, but then he gently puts his hand, his fingers over my mouth. So I like this, mm. and like that. And I remember it was gentle, he wasn't pushing. But at this point, I knew it was it, because I couldn't breathe there was he wasn't letting go and my lungs started collapsing mm -hmm. and I knew that this is it so he couldn't he couldn't lift you into the tub to drown you so he was suffocating you exactly he had to finish me off he was trying all day to figure out how to finish me off he didn't know he thought maybe the poison would kill me but it didn't so he needed to finish me off before he calls 911. Mm. And um, 
as I'm suffocating, I could see now uh, Jesus, but up to his knees, he had his robe. I could see his robe and I could see his hand towards me. I couldn't see the rest of him, just his hand towards me. And I wanted to go with Jesus at this point. I was ready to go. I didn't want to come back. I didn't want to go back. I didn't want, I knew he could lift off his hand, but I didn't want him to do that. I wanted to go with Jesus. And I was singing to him in my mind, like, don't let go. Don't, don't go. I will not let go. Don't go. I was so afraid he would leave without me, but he didn't. And I kept on going. Um, as you know, Randy, when we go to the other side, like to me, there was no, there was no end. Like I, I didn't feel, oh my, I'm dead now. There's an end and then there's being, I just kept on going. It, and I look back and my body's down there, but it's, there was, it's just as if you take, off a heavy coat and I kept going and suddenly I saw the sky that was covered with white clouds it was bright white cloud and it opened up and when it opened up I could see beautiful blue sky it's just a beautiful color and around it, there were these large animals flying. Hmm. And these animals had beautiful colors in them, colors I haven't seen before. They were just so colorful and they're big. I couldn't recognize what kind of animal that is. And they're flying. But that year, at the end of that year, the movie Avatar came out. And in it, they had these large, well, they were dragons. They weren't quite like that, but they reminded me of what I saw in heaven, these large animals just flying around the sky. And then I found myself at the top of like a green pasture. So, and at the far end, I could see they're rushing and they're preparing for the wedding. And I could see a bride, but I could see the back of her. But I couldn't see her face, and I wanted to see her face. So I tried to go out there to look at her. I kept thinking, is that me? Like, you know, in the Bible, they say when we die, we're the bride of Jesus. Mm -hmm. So I thought, it, I, I assumed it was me, but I never got to see who she was. Mm -hmm. And I found myself entering an indoor place, and it was like, a corridor and I was walking in the corridor and I came across a majestic chair it was a chair and there was somebody sitting in it and I could tell it was a lady but she was covered uh, the the chair was covered with a veil so it covered her but it came from the chair down to her and I couldn't tell who she was and I and I'm walking, but I kept like, look, I want to try to make out who she is. And then there was a bystander. <laughs> and I asked him, 
So this wasn't the the bride that you saw no, initially. This no, was another figure. Another figure. And I asked this person, I said, who is she? And he said, she's the purest of all. Hmm. And I said, hmm, just like I said. Mm -hmm. And I kept on going. And then I saw a doorway, like at the door, there was a body of light standing there. And that body of light was my mother. And she didn't have a figure. It was just a body of light, but I recognized her right away. And I knew this was my mother. And she took me in and we kept on going. And then I saw another body of light coming towards me. And it was my sister, Nadia. Seeing Nadia in heaven was the most beautiful encounter because Nadia had committed suicide after being in a very deep depression. And the church tells you, or several churches, or many churches, at least our church, tells you if you commit suicide, it's an act of murder and you go to hell. And I always wondered where she was. And I knew she wanted, she was close to Jesus and she wanted to be with Jesus. She wanted to be with dad. Nadia was very close to my father who got killed in a car accident several years before she took her life. And when I saw her there, it's just proof of how loving and compassionate our Father in heaven is. He does not judge us as the world judges us. He understands sickness and depression. He understands somebody who's in a deep depression is not doing this act out of murder. They're doing this act to stop the pain because depression is real. And it's their way out and he understands. We have had, by the way, and it's, what you're saying, Anna, is timely uh, because at one point we were getting contacts from five, at least five people a day okay. who wanted to take their life. And so we went into partnerships with three ministries with 800 lines. So if anyone is thinking about that and they can't take the pain, there's somebody, you can go to the randyk.org site and the contact page there, and there are live people who are there to feel to their calls. Yeah, because when you're in a deep depression, you need somebody to literally take you by the hand. Yes. Like, you know, like they have to find, hopefully their family recognize and take them by the hand day by day. Yes. Because that depression is so bad, it's so real, it's so painful when you're, it's worse than breaking a leg and taking a painkiller because the, you know, the, you take a, you can't take a pill to stop that pain of depression. Right. It doesn't go away and you wake up and you're still in that nightmare and it hurts. And I remember I've been there and it's horrible. Yes, I have as well. So we are, Back to uh, 
Nadia. story. You are in this place. I'll ask you in a bit, or maybe you can reveal to us what that place was. But you saw Nadia, right. who you didn't know if she was in heaven, in heaven or not. And, and that was the confirmation. And, she had taken her life. Yeah. And then um, I'm standing there, and I'm walking with her. She's taking me into a room, and I'm walking with her. And I'm just, the joy that I'm feeling at this point is just overwhelming. It's just too much. It got to the point where I started complaining to her. And I'm telling her, I can't take it. It's too much. I don't know how to contain it. It's too much what I can't contain it. So here I am complaining about joy when it was the stupidest thing to do because we usually complain about stress and depression and sadness. And you think we can never have enough joy. But in heaven, it is too much to, to handle. And I couldn't contain it. And she looked at me and she said, Anna, with Jesus, it keeps on getting better. <laughs> and I looked at her and I said, it can't, it can't get any better. Than, like, I couldn't imagine it. You know, when you're there, how can it get any It was just too much to imagine. And then we walked out and there was my father standing with my mother, another body of light. And it was just surreal being with my family we were not talking but we were communicating mm -hmm. and then Nadia says hurry up you guys we're going to be late for our banquet with Jesus and I'm going come again banquet with Jesus <laughs> like <it's, laughs> she said it so as a matter of fact like no big deal they're going on a banquet <laughs> what? time for dinner <laughs> yeah it's like oh my I'm gonna see Jesus oh, and they went but I didn't follow it wasn't my time to see him at that point. Mm. And you just knew. I just knew. And I found myself going into another room. And at the end of that room, there was a figure standing there. And he was not a body of light. I could, I recognized his body. And he was the late Pope Carollos VI, I think. Um, he was the the late Coptic Orthodox Pope who had died maybe in the 70s. And he was such a sweetheart, very humble, loving, just purity was in him. He's just a beautiful man. I never met him. I heard of him. And he's looking at me and he's going, where have you been, child? Where have you been? And I'm going, uh, <laughs> talking to me. And I felt like a child and I'm going, uh well you know i've been going to calvary and he goes why child why because i've been going to calvary of course after marrying the muslim i didn't go to the coptic church uh and he's going why child why and i'm going well i didn't find love and um compassion and i guess acceptance you know in the Coptic church, of course, marrying a Muslim, that's like a no-no. And he looks at me and he goes, child, what is your name? And he's talking to me like that. I could see his hand, like <laughs> I remember seeing his hand. And um, my name, Anna Christina, is my pen name. And it's, I changed all the names in the story to protect my children. Uh, but I told him my Egyptian name. and." He goes, 
I told him that. He goes, what does it mean, Shaya? Hmm. And my name means compassion. Mm. And, um, and he was saying in a rhetorical way, like I didn't say anything. And he goes, child, you're looking for compassion outside. We, this is what we need. You are what we need. Hurry up, child. There's no time. Hurry up. And he uh, kicked me out. <laughs> it was like, hurry up. <laughs> and I got kicked out. So and this is what is needed. In the Coptic church. In the Coptic. So he wanted you to come back and evangelize in Coptic, the Coptic Christians. Or something, to, to do something in the Coptic church. Interesting. I haven't figured out exactly what I haven't done that. Well, you're talking with them now. Uh, so there's some that are watching that may be from the Coptic church. In fact, we had somebody from Egypt who just uh, reached out to us. Wow. Okay. So there was something there he wanted. He was, um, he was not anxious, but he was worried. about the Coptic or something. There was something needed. And I think I've seen the turnaround in the Coptic church. Like for the longest time, it was like more of like the religion. It is my religion. It's my roots. I learned that that's my roots. And it was, um, and the church follows exactly what St. Mark did 2000 years ago. St. Mark is the one that came to Egypt and gave the, you know how to do a mass and everything and the mm-hmm. church never changed and it kept it like that but for a time i think there was some disconnect between the spirituality or the connection with god and the religion mm-hmm. and lately and i think the pope and everybody realizes that and they have younger priests to minister to the younger generation mm-hmm. and to have that connection and uh, that loving Christ Jesus connection rather than just it's a, a religion to go every Sunday. It became more of a, a beautiful connection with God. So I've seen it. At what point will they use me? I don't know. It's up to God. Well, but I was got the early up. church. You know, when yes. you, religion was really not the religion in the Bible is, you know, to to do good to widows and those who are orphaned and what have you. Uh, so it's an action more than it is a state of faith practice. Yes. It is, it's really what you do. Right. But the relational aspect, which was the foundation of that early church in the book of Acts, was somehow turned into a religion of doctrines and other things. So, But that's interesting that, so he was, he had, he had, been a, a a priest was He's, that he was a monk he was and a, then became a monk, the pope the pope of and then there was another pope when i died at that time he was there like he was the one that had just died before the the one in 2009 and but he he's telling me there's not enough time there's not enough time wow and there's not enough time that he knows at that point being yes. in heaven Yes. That you've got to tell them the truth. Yeah, that we need to all come to Jesus in a different way or whatever, or to save people. I know the younger generation for a while was leaving the church. Mm -hmm. And I think he was agonizing over that because the younger generation felt a gap. And now they're redoing that. Like I said, they brought in younger priests that can 
relate to the younger generation. And now there's a revival in the Coptic church, which is beautiful. But at the time, he was worried. Um, but also, when he said, where have you been? I don't want this to be misconstrued. Some viewers say, why was he upset that you went to another church? Is your church only church? It's not about that. I, I truly believe uh, every church is God's church. There isn't just one right church. I believe that every church is missing something. Like we have so much every, good. Every Christian church. Every Christian church yes. is missing something. And the perfect church will be when Jesus comes. Right. That's the perfect church. Yes. So, but my root is Coptic. Because when I came back, when they would ask me in the hospital, where are you from? I would say, I'm Coptic. Mm -hmm. And you never say you're Coptic. Mm -hmm. Coptic is not a country. Coptic mm -hmm. is not, you, I, you'd say, I'm American, I'm Canadian, I'm Egyptian. And I would say, I'm Coptic. So somehow they put in me that that's my roots. But, but I still go to other churches, yes. but, but it was fascinating. Anyway, so as I'm coming out, He's kicking me out, and then Jesus reveals his face to me. And out of nowhere, I just see a face being revealed, and he was revealing it slowly. It was like this, and it was like slowly going down his nose. And to my surprise, he was not as handsome as I pictured him to be because I grew up watching the movie Jesus of Nazareth, and I just related to that Jesus mm -hmm. in that movie. Um, he was, he did not have, a, he had more of a rugged, you know, face. Mm -hmm. More like even in the movie, The Passion of Christ, you know, the, was it The Passion? Yes. That the actor was more Middle Eastern, uh, a, a more rugged face, I would say. Middle Eastern then, or face? Yes. Uh, so Jesus, yeah, from the face I saw would be Israel or Hebrew. yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I, I actually joked then because his nose was so long, and I'm saying, you're Jewish, aren't you? And I was like, embarrassed. Oh, you said that Jesus. You're Jewish. <laughs> what did he say in response? Did he say yes? Or? He just smiled. He like, smiled. Like, who, who does that? It's like, <laughs> stupid. But because I, I was noticing he was not as handsome as I thought, I kept wanting to shut that process, what I'm thinking, because I knew he could read my thoughts and I didn't want to hurt his feelings. And I felt like, you know, who also thinks that way? But mm -hmm. he was in his glory, but just he was not that same face of the blue eyes. And, um, he, and then... I found out later in I, Isaiah that he said um, he prophet he prophetized about Jesus and he said he was not the plain looking man. Plain, yeah, yes. he was not handsome. Right. And it made sense to me because I could just imagine if Jesus back then, two thousand years ago was really handsome most women would fall in love with him rather than love his message and love who he is so i understood why he was like that but his he was glorious and 
right after that, I, I found myself watching the freeway. It was harsh. It was like so such a dry land compared to where I was. <laughs> and I was on top of the 5 and the 405, the Y. So those are two freeways yes, in Southern in Cal California, yes. where we are located now. Yes, and I'm watching this traffic, and wow. then I'm in my bedroom. And so instantly from the, 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 the final or... Yeah. Period of time before you came back, and you mm -hmm. were seeing saw the freeway. Yes, then uh, so I you're see. Up, coming down. Apparently, I or? don't know what I was seeing. My bedroom. I saw my bedroom, and I could see Sam on the bed, and he's holding my body uh, next to him. Somehow, he managed to put me next to him, and I'm still naked there. And so after you insulted the appearance of Jesus, okay, don't, don't rub it in. <laughs> Sorry. No, he's not holding that against you. <laughs> he was laughing. Like, he was like this, this His beauty is from the inside. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so you're down, you're seeing the freeway. And then I see my room and, and I see room. Sam and he's holding me and I couldn't stand him holding me. I jumped in my body. Like as soon as my soul went into my body, I jumped out of bed. I jumped from under his arms. I couldn't handle him touching me. And I stood at the foot of the bed. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at him. And um, Randy, the look on this man's face was priceless. Mm -hmm. it, like, I wish, really, I wish I had a camera. It was like, oh, my goodness. And here I was. I was back. Well, that doesn't, that doesn't mean that that's that Sam at this point is out of the picture because mm -hmm. he is he was planning for your 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 murder yeah uh, and so you are revived yes. God brought you back right obviously for a purpose being with us now is one of those um so what happened how did you get to the point where he didn't finish the evil deed well, at that point, I came back as strong as a horse. Mm -hmm. I wasn't paralyzed oh, anymore. Okay. And uh, the ambulance, like I remember the guy, they came and checked me and, and the guy said, you know, when they give you the, their fingers, say, pull, ma'am, as hard as you can. And I usually can mm -hmm. hardly pull. I really pulled this guy off mm -hmm. his, you know, I made him stand up and he goes, this woman is strong as a horse. So mm. I came back with a lot of power. Ah, uh, so interesting. Uh, very interesting because a lot of people, like some people, not a lot, but some people say, well, were you hallucinating? Could you have been just hallucinating this whole thing and you didn't go to the other side or anything? And I say, well, if I was, when I wake, when I woke up, I should have still been paralyzed because the amount of poison that was in my body would have killed the horse. That was determined in the hospital from the... Actually, no, no. No. The hospital didn't do any blood test or urine test. Really? They just did drug and alcohol mm -hmm. because they, you know, they assume everybody's either on drugs mm -hmm. or on alcohol. Uh, at that time, I didn't know he was poisoning me. Mm -hmm. um, and then I ended up, they put me in a mental hospital because... I looked like I, even though God told me not to say anything, I didn't share anything about me going to heaven or anything. Imagine if I had, if I had shared that, I'd still be in the mental hospital till today. I didn't say anything. And they 
thought he claimed I was having a nervous breakdown and I'm mentally ill and uh, because of my job. And so they took me in a mental hospital. And um, but I got out and I guess in my book, it, it tells the whole story. But the bad thing that happened was um, they Paul took my daughter from me. Colleen was living with us, but he took advantage that I'm in a mental hostel that I walked. Um, that, that morning when I came back, Sam had threatened to hurt Colleen. So I went to protect her, but I was still walking naked. So, mm -hmm. and uh, protected her, but they reported, he reported she walks around the house naked. So they, mm -hmm. he went to court, ex parte, took her from me. So because I lost my daughter, excuse me, that was more hard. That was a heartache worse than being murdered. It was really, mm -hmm. he took my daughter at the worst time. Like he hit mm -hmm. me below the belt and I put all my energy to try to get her back because they only allowed me visitation. Uh, what is it when uh, somebody has to be with you? Um, oh, yes. Uh, yeah. Um yeah, supervised. Supervised. I see. Mm -hmm. That's how they look at me that I'm really bad mother. And it was awful. So my lawyer suggested I go and do a forensic hair analysis because I went and I did a heart scan to see, did I get a heart attack? Is that what caused my paralysis? Because mm -hmm. I didn't know he was poisoning me. Mm -hmm. um, but my heart scan came back perfect. Mm -hmm. I went and I did a brain scan thinking maybe I got a stroke. That's what caused the, the paralysis. My brain was fine. Mm -hmm. So the lawyer said, go get a forensic hair analysis, which I did. And then the doctor, there was a doctor's report when the results came back. And if I may read you the, please, the letter from the do. doctor. This is by the way, from your book, for those who are looking at this, my sweet uh, encounter with death. And this, why you're going to be reading from this book and you can get it on your website. Let's, let's mention that now, we'll put it on the screen of where we can get this book, a signed copy. And then of course, Barnes and Noble and- uh, They can contact me on my website okay. and I will ship it out right away. All right. And very soon, it, I had pulled it off the market, but very soon it's gonna be, they can reach it anywhere in the world because I get people from everywhere. Mm -hmm. The latest one was Australia. I'm trying to get your book. So very soon they'll be able to get it everywhere. Good, good, excellent. Um, this letter came from the doctor and he said, I have received lab reports which indicate very high amounts of several heavy metals on her hair analysis consisted with toxicity, possibly included no, possibly induced by poisoning. These abnormalities include the mercury level, which is 60 times the reporting limit, mm -hmm. selenium, 69 times the limit, and timony, 49 times the limit, lead, 280 times the limit, mm -hmm. bismuth, 40 times the limit, but most disturbing, barium at 2,750 times the limit. Oh my goodness. The symptoms she described, which were present at the time of her psychiatric hospitalization in January and thought to be psychotic in nature were consistent with toxicity due to barium and perhaps mercury. Oh my goodness. You know, I have a, uh, a clinical background 
Uh, and so just from what you read, uh, that would, that would stop the heart. I mean, the toxicity, the the paralysis because of that, but the paralysis we have to bear in mind is stopping the heart. Yeah. That was the plan. And there mm-hmm. were a few, I read about people uh, poisoning with barium. There was mm-hmm. a few of them. And it causes the mm-hmm. Yes. And also, it's known not to have any flavor, taste, or smell. And I believe he must have been putting it in my coffee slowly, every day. He did research. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was really methodically... Yeah calculating your death because he only had three years three weeks so in those three weeks he wasn't going to just leave like that he asked to stay and um, he had to finish me off but i think because i disturbed the plan and told him i'm going to egypt to see my brother he had to finish me off that night Uh, and i believe he put it all in my rice yeah and that's how i got um paralyzed that night because he can't stop the process if i leave he won't have time like i they will discover in egypt or i'll get better or something by the time i come back he's out of the house and he had planned it uh in advance of the divorce being finalized because if that had happened then he would not have gotten the uh the money the insurance money Mm. so so that's what it was uh so so much so much happened uh but at least with this i was able to get colleen back which Mm -hmm. was great so to me that was the most important thing wow anna i uh, first of all i have to applaud you for your courage in telling this and sharing um you know that this is probably the most traumatic uh near-death afterlife well we've had quite a few actually but this one in particular because it was from a person that initially you had you had liked loved you know and and losing colleen for a period of time um but i have to go back to that experience that you had because you were going to reveal to us this place you were in that where you saw the bride and that wasn't you where you saw you had this audible expression from the holy spirit who was basically as you said coaching you through this assuaging you through the most horrendous period of time as you were as you were dying but then once you were ushered forth from your body the bride you saw your your sister who had committed suicide uh, she was in heaven. You saw the Coptic, uh, I want to say priest, but it's a pope. Yes. Um, and he was there wanting you to evangelize those in that, in that faith. You saw your mother, your father, as bright lights who you knew to understand. But then you saw Jesus. And uh, he was very plain looking. But then before you had died, you had this uh, this impression or actually as you, you saw actually a visualization perhaps your spirit was was you were more spirit perhaps than you were flesh at that point who knows god knows but you were seeing the crucified the uh marks in his hand as he was showing you and and he was 
he was showing you that pain that he knew he had gone through as you were going through and being assuaged, comforted through the Holy Spirit who was counseling. You saw the, you heard the answers to life's most difficult questions that were being revealed to you by Jesus that you understood, oh, that makes sense, but that you can't relate now. So I'm asking you the question in terms of that place you went to where you saw the bride, you saw your parents, and then you eventually saw Jesus. Where was that? I would call it paradise or, you know, because I refer to it like as heaven in the book, but I, there is a difference apparently from paradise to heaven. I'm not sure. Well, Jesus turned to the repentant thief on the cross that today you'll be in paradise with me. But of course, Jesus being in paradise and having being paradise. There's a whole theological discussion we could get into the mysteries of heaven. But, um, you know, I think uh, when I was, uh, I, I oftentimes believe wholeheartedly based on what the Bible preaches that we are ushered into heaven. We've had many testimonies of those going into heaven. But it's uniquely revealed to each person according to what God knows they need. So in that place. So uh, when we get too mired in, in the, the what ifs, and I know you asked, I asked you the question, but uh, it's interesting from my perspective, at least, that of, of how you felt, because it maybe mattered not, I'm not trying not to put words in your mouth, but where you were as to with whom you were, and you were with them, that the ones that you loved most, and the ones, Jesus, that loved you most. Right. The, that feeling the joy that I felt in heaven is just incredible to know that there is a place after we die that as is nothing like on earth. On earth we have emotions up and down. Even when we have joy come down from it, you know, it's mm -hmm. up and down. There joy is just like it's an ecstasy that it just keeps on going and it's just incredible the where we end up being it, it's it's not about the surrounding it wasn't about what did i say it was the feeling of love and joy and it's uh, death is not what we think it is death is beautiful even the act of death even the like i have parents who reach out to me and my story gives them a lot of peace parents to children who died in a horrific method and they assume that their child was alone mm -hmm. or their child encountered pain and suffering and loneliness and anxiety and fear and I, and I tell them, all these feelings don't exist when you are, even if we're being tortured, mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit, that comforter, he's there right away to comfort. And you don't feel any of that. Mm -hmm. Regardless, their child was comforted mm -hmm. by a beautiful, 
Spirit of God. Mm -hmm. He didn't just comfort me. I'm not special. He comes to to all people who have been victim. Like he doesn't like victims. He doesn't like us being victimized. He's a he's really a comforter. And on our deathbed, he will reveal himself. Like he's with us now, but he will speak to each one of us on our deathbed. Yeah. We will know. You will know, and you will recognize him, and you will get comfort. Regardless, there are so many people who are afraid of death and afraid to be alone. Mm -hmm. We don't die alone. Yeah. He's so loving. He reveals himself. Now, the timing of it, you know, I was outside of time. I don't know how I, I was outside of time, and I don't know how I knew it. I just knew I was outside of time. I never understood that but I know I was. Mm -hmm. So his timing, you know, in the end, when we're dying, his, um, he's there. Even if somebody, I believe, even if somebody dies quickly, or I don't know, you mm -hmm. can't tell, but there's a process. I went through that process. I didn't just die and go to the other. I went through that encounter to know and to comfort others. Mm -hmm that we are not alone. Such a conundrum, isn't it? I mean, I, I have often said that the best day of my life was the day I died. Yeah, yes. You know, the best day. Absolutely. And that doesn't make sense. And the physical brain wants to fight to survive. And yet we're here for a purpose that God gives to us. And I love what you say about, you know, being in the presence and that that was all consuming of the Lord God. Um, and I've oftentimes said too that, you know, you could have thrown me in a, in a trash bin as long as it was with Jesus. I would have been just fine. Yeah. That's yeah. all that mattered. It, it, exactly. That's yeah. all that mattered. It was, it's just something else. We get so consumed with life and problems and issues and the future. And it's not about that. It is about our loved ones on our deathbed. It is about our loved ones. How much have we loved them? How much have we impacted this world? Mm -hmm. You know, it's, um, and I'm hoping that people don't wait till their deathbed to find out that they have a friend in the Holy Spirit. Yes. Like I think of him, I tell people who are older, you know, um, Casper, the friendly ghost. I, I don't think of him like that, but he's inside <laughs> of you, but you're the only one that can see him because I feel that's what he is. He's there and he's trying, you know, he will never impose himself on us. He's there to be discovered. You know, in the Bible, it's always about searching. You know, he didn't, he, he left the Holy Spirit to be discovered, yeah. you know, and, uh, we have to discover him. He's not going to impose. And once you discover and acknowledge him, he will reveal himself. The more you acknowledge, the more he will reveal. Right. And it will be this private thing, that friendship. Yeah. It's not understanding first. It's faith first. It's faith. Cross That's that bridge it. of faith. I love what I, I saw a billboard one time that said if uh, people who are living uh, knew what people who have physically died knew, 
everyone would believe in Jesus as their Lord. <laughs> it, 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 it's sad that death brings us to the point, or people to the point all too often where they have to reconcile a relationship. Yeah, it is. But, you know, I personally believe that um, the Holy Spirit will reveal himself to everybody on our deathbed, not just to Christians. I truly believe in that. I believe that he will give that opportunity at the end to reveal himself. And at that point, you will have a choice to accept him, know who he is. And of course, once you recognize it's the Holy Spirit, which will lead you to knowing about Jesus, or you can rebuke him. Mm -hmm. And if you rebuke him, that's the unforgiven sin. Because in the Bible, it says, what's the only sin that's not forgiven? It's rebuking the Holy Spirit, Spirit. right? Right. He didn't say rebuking God. He didn't say rebuking Jesus. He knows that people out of ignorance will rebuke God and Jesus throughout their lives. They will not out of ignorance, ignorance rebuke the Holy Spirit because they don't know him to rebuke him. And if you're a Christian, you're not going to rebuke the Holy Spirit. But on your deathbed, he's going to reveal himself. And you really have to be wicked or um, worshiping the devil to rebuke the Holy Spirit at that point. Yes. And that's the unforgiven sin that sends you to hell. Right. He, and Jesus himself said he desired all that would be saved, but not all are saved. And of course he... He said in John 8, 32, and they shall know the truth, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Well, who was the truth? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. It was Jesus who was the truth. But the Holy Spirit, Bible also says, is to your point, uh, Anna, that the Holy Spirit is the one who draws us. Nobody can save anybody else, but the Holy Spirit draws us unto himself. And we've had people who I've interviewed who have have died and and entered into hell. Now, obviously, they came back. <laughs> they're they're on fire believers yes, now. Yes, yes, but they, they said saw. one yes. thing that's universal. Is they said when they when they got there, they felt like they were without excuse. That they knew that they belonged there by virtue of their decision and rejecting, as you said, the Holy Spirit. Now, when when they cried out, oftentimes the name of Jesus Christ they were then saved from that. So, you know, it, it's something that uh, I think it's, and I'm glad you mentioned that important to understand. We're going to give our audience here the opportunity. If you kind of in there, you may be in that space where you're thinking, oh, you know, I'm not sure if I die today. Am I going to uh, heaven or am I going to hell? Well, God wants you to know, right, Anna? He wants you to have that assurance. Uh, because you will know that you know. Now, you may have those times when you are like the doubting Thomas, uh, when you may question your faith, but you're really, uh, the Bible tells us that that the Holy Spirit testifies uh, of our faith in Christ. So, if you don't really have that confidence, 
or that you need that assurance, I encourage you to pray with us now. Because now is your moment. There is no promise of a tomorrow. There's no promise of the next moment. We've had young people on our show, and we've interviewed even more that haven't been on our show, that died. And even young people, we have had three fentanyl deaths of young people whose loved ones have testified that they, uh, why their death and, and their life as well. So we're going to give you that opportunity now to confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You see, it's a total, it's a surrender. It's saying that I surrender unto you, Lord Jesus, because of what you did on the cross. When Jesus showed him his, his scars in his, the palm of his hand, at the base of his hand, it's because of what he did on the cross. He did not have to do that. He called, could have called legions of angels. And instead, he knew that you needed him. So pray something like this. Pray, dear Lord Jesus, I've sinned, and we all have sinned, and, and I need you. I surrender my life to you. I know that only you, Lord Jesus, who was the Emmanuel, that is God in the flesh, who went on to sit upon the throne of God, that you alone had that ability to forgive me, to take my sins upon yourself on the cross. And now I surrender. I surrender my all. Take control of my life. Become Lord of my life. And direct me with your Holy Spirit so that I might honor you all the days of my remaining life on this earth and to heaven. And if you prayed to receive Jesus as your Lord, there's a celebration in heaven going on for you right now. And we want to know about it. So go to the contact page of randyk.org. Let us know. We want to be in communication with you and help you in your walk with Christ, because this is the beginning of the greatest journey of your life. And it doesn't end in heaven. It continues into heaven. So Anna, this has been absolutely wonderful. And we want people to know where they can reach you on your website. Yes, it's annachristina.net. So they okay. can write to me and contact me. I would love to respond to them. Great, and they can get a signed book. And they can signed get a book. Signed I love this book. book. Yeah. It's it's a short read, so you can you've got the story here. You have some further insights oh my gosh, yes. that we didn't have time to uh, to cover, and that will be available on Kindle soon. Yes. If it's not already, by the time our viewers look at this, we'll have that. It's both on the screen. We'll have it in the body of this message as well. The link to your website where it can be ordered, and you can write. Uh, that you know, sign your name in that book, which is always nice. I loved uh, those signed copies. And uh, anything else you'd like to, to share before we close? Um, just don't wait on your deathbed to discover your true soulmate. He's there. He's waiting on you. He knows the count of your hair. Mm -hmm. 
but again he won't impose just start by acknowledging him and then watch watch and you'll see your life different going through this life with a companion like that with the counselor of the most high god just start and you'll be amazed that's really what i want them to know oh that's fantastic our audience can't see, but sitting next to us is your husband. Uh, so <laughs> he's been loving, lovingly watching you throughout this uh, entire interview. So again, thank you so, so much. And we have some great news for those of you who are indeed in Christ Jesus. Be of good cheer because heaven is in your future. Absolutely. Take care. And God bless. Thanks for listening. Please like and subscribe. And if you'd like further information, go to our website at randyk.org, where our mission is simple, to share the great news of God's love.